The second lesson this morning comes from the Gospel of Luke, chapter 13, verses 1 to 9. Hear the word of the Lord. At that very time, there were some present who told him about the Galileans whose blood Pilate had mingled with their sacrifices. He asked them, Do you think that because these Galileans suffered in this way that they were worse sinners than all the other Galileans? No, I tell you. But unless you repent, you will all perish as they did. Or those 18 who were killed when the Tower of Siloam fell on them, do you think that they were worse offenders than all the others living in Jerusalem? No, I tell you, but unless you repent, you will all perish just as they did. Then he told this parable. A man had a fig tree planted in his vineyard, and he came looking for fruit on it and found none. So he said to the gardener, See here, for three years I have come looking for fruit on this fig tree, and still I find none. Cut it down. Why should it be wasting the soil? But he replied, Sir, let it alone for one more year until I dig around it and put manure on it. And if it bears fruit next year, well and good. But if not, you can cut it down. Friends, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. I'm so grateful, Sharon, for that piece that you shared with us this morning because uh, today the text definitely asks us to consider wisdom. Well, as you know, as many of you know, maybe not everybody here, but one of my dearest friends um, who has been a really just significant person in my life has cancer. She has multiple myeloma, um, and it is a devastating disease with no cure. She has gone through intense and life-threatening treatments to stabilize her health and place her in remission, which she currently is in. Um, She's also the mother of three children in their late elementary and early adolescence phase of life. And as I spend my time with her, uh, what she continues to teach me is the importance of time. The importance of time. She has the words of Mary Oliver's poem placed on the door of her kitchen. What is it that you plan to do with your one wild and precious life? And in her choices, she is aggressive about everything, and she does not mince her words. She reminds me over and over and over again about the things that she does not have time for, And she makes no apologies. She will simply just say, I don't have time for that. I don't have time for small talk, she'll tell me. I don't have time for endless child sports tournaments that seem to hold families in what can feel like a perpetual state of purgatory. (laughs) I never know when the cancer is coming back and I have to grab every second that I can with my family now. And the way that she approaches 
her life is filled with this understanding that her time is finite. And that is her greatest gift to me and one of the greatest things that I have learned in our friendship. Because time is finite. What is it that we all plan to do with our one wild and precious life? I'd like this question to hang in the background of our text for today because Jesus, too, is aware that his time is limited. He spends the bulk of his later ministry, what one might call his prophetic ministry, and that's really the stage of his ministry that we're beginning to access now as we are in the third week of Lent We've sort of taken a break from the early part of the Gospels where we see the ministry of Jesus developing. And Lent really focuses on Jesus beginning to access, to access his prophetic ministry, which means that he is aware that Jerusalem is coming. He is aware that his story is about to come to some sort of closure. And that changes how he's engaged in the people around him. Don't forget that last week we had a chance to reflect on the lament over Jerusalem. And today we actually find ourselves in that very same chapter, but just a few verses earlier. So the lament of Jerusalem is in the latter part of chapter 13. The piece that we just read is in the very beginning of chapter 13. And there are times in the gospel, many times, we can notice that Jesus does not mince words. He reacts to the situations around him with, we might determine, a certain amount of aggression, perhaps a little intensity that feels a little awkward and ugly to our modern ears. But we miss the person of Jesus if we forget to place ourselves in the reality of his story. The reality of his story, which is plagued by the fact that he has limited time on the planet in the body in which he finds himself in. He's not going to be in Galilee and in this area surrounding Jerusalem forever. And he's very aware of that. And this deep understanding of who he is and the fact that he knows that his time is finite changes everything. And in the latter part of the Gospels, we are not given a Jesus who sort of powerfully calms the sea, but we are instead given a Jesus who is disturbed, who is deeply disturbed by the life that he sees taking shape in and around the area of Jerusalem, and he has to figure out a way to speak about it. And if you've ever been around somebody who is in those final chapters of their life, when they recognize that their own time is finite, you'll know that the conversations that they have are different, that they'll choose to enter into very difficult and awkward and uncomfortable conversations that sort of create a deep disturbance within us because they're trying to access truth while they still have the opportunity to do so with their very body and their flesh and blood. And so that's what it is that Jesus is up to in this chapter. He's trying to figure out how to talk about this idea that in the human experience, we somehow want to separate ourselves from this idea of sin and pain. 
And we talked about that a little bit last week. We talked about how Lent invites us not to sort of focus on our pain and become sort of absorbed in our pain, but to recognize that from pain comes vulnerability and that that gives us the space and the courage from which we can walk into relationships with with a new vulnerability and an awareness about who we are. It puts us on that sort of humble ground. And Jesus is recognizing that the folks in and around Jerusalem, that the folks in and around Galilee are reluctant to sort of make sense of this part of their human story. They can't figure out how sin and pain connect with who they are and how it is that they might need to change in order to be ready to be fully more open to the work of the kingdom of God or the kingdom of God, as we've been talking about lately. You see, our assumption is that we tend to blame others for the sin and the pain that we see within culture. We either do that or we distance it, we distance ourselves from it entirely. And we see examples of that exactly in the passage that we have before us today. You see, the Galileans that were killed and then, by the way, dehumanized by um, this action of Pilate. Pilate was known uh, to be sort of um, a person who did not take any religious life that seriously. And so he was known to sort of play around with the religious customs of the cultures around him as a way of sort of mocking them and making fun of them. That was something that was just part of Pilate's personality. Um, part of his choices. And so these Galileans that were killed, he then took their blood and mixed it with the sacrifices as a way of sort of completely disarming and dehumanizing them, right? And it was easier for the people around them to think that perhaps there was a reason for this outcome. Perhaps, in fact, these folks who had this horrific experience, sort of post-mortem, perhaps they deserved it. There was something maybe that they did that deserved it. And as soon as we sort of orient ourselves that way about the way that life is unfolding around us, you see what that does? It separates me from the pain and the challenge that has happened within the culture. It says, you know, that really wasn't my responsibility. There's nothing I can do about what Pilate was up to there. And probably they deserved it anyway because their sins were worse. And Jesus calls that whole line of thought into question in his thinking here. And then he even brings up another example that they would have all known about. He says, perhaps those, or those that were killed in this random act of disaster, now that there was an area outside the temple called the Wall of Siloam or the Tower of Siloam, and, and what happened was that it fell, and, and as we know, as we read in the text today, there, there were people that, that were killed as a result of that, uh, of that devastation. But Jesus takes that random act of devastation and reaches into the thinking of the culture and says, see, you can't think perhaps they deserved it. Because as soon as you think perhaps they deserved it, that separates you from the pain and the act of devastation. It puts me on solid ground. I think, well, good thing that that didn't happen to me. That means that my sins weren't as bad. And then I'm separate 
I'm on a different platform. I don't have to deal with a struggle or with the pain or with the fact that there was a random act of violence that ended up hurting 17 people within the area of Galilee because there's a good reason why that happened. And as long as I don't have to deal with the depth of the chaos in my own human story, as long as I recognize that there's a distance between me and somebody else, that then creates an ongoing social platform that does not make way for change. It doesn't make way for change. Because everybody's just getting what they deserve. And there's a reason why the things that happened, happened. And ultimately, God is at work adjusting the scale of justice so that everybody gets their due deserving. And Jesus won't stand for this. He just won't stand for it. And he won't let his followers off the hook here. And every time they want to separate themselves from the rest of humanity, Jesus forces them into a different way of thinking that takes the larger perspective, that tries to pay attention about, to notice the ways in which we're all connected. You see, what he's trying to help them see is to understand the outcome. We have to be vigilantly aware that we are all actually standing on the same ground. So he lets no one off the hook. And we are so grateful for that because as soon as we begin to believe that we are actually better than the others out there because of either our birth or our beliefs or the choices that we make within our lives or the resources that we have, or the story that we find ourselves in today, as soon as we begin to believe that we are better than others, that, friends, if we look back, is always the beginning of very, very bad decisions within human history. Because all of a sudden, we have a right to make decisions that impact other people because there's something about us that is inherently blessed. Sound familiar? That is the message, the narrative, the rhetoric that Jesus is sort of reaching into in this very difficult text today and kind of pulling out and helping us to get a clear picture of just how ugly that way of thinking is and helping us instead to get a picture that breaks it open and helps us to figure out how it is that we can move forward without believing that those who have had certain events happen to them, those have deserved it and others have not. 
Because what Jesus is saying with this urgent perspective is that we are all a part of the same human story that requires change and growth and then a fun Lenten word that we can't lose track of, repentance, every single one of us. We're all a part of a story that requires change, growth, and repentance. Now, repentance, I don't want us to lose sight of during our season of Lent because it's one of our best words that we have. And remember, it's the word for turning. It's a word that's found in the Hebrew Bible in the Old Testament. It's a word that's found in the Greek Bible, the New Testament. It's a word that we have in English, and often we'll see it at football games, repent, or else. In a way, it's a fun invitation. Let's flip the narrative on that. Repent. It's an opportunity to turn. And what it means is that we can change our mind. And so, in a sense, all those signs at football games, even though they might not have known what they were up to in holding up those signs, have been giving us this invitation to pay attention to the choices that we make within our life and to reflect on how it is that we might turn. How it is that we might change. I'm going to invite those of you that can, and if you can't, please don't do this. But for those of you that can, please, please stand. I, want to, I have a good little exercise I want you to do. So when you are in this sanctuary, you are oriented towards this east wall, right? And what's on this east wall is the choir loft and the cross. So, it is possible for you to come to church every Sunday and to think that the sanctuary has this as the front and that as the back, right? I want you to turn 180 degrees. I want you to notice in that turning how your perspective has changed. You're no longer facing a closed wall. You're facing an open window. You're no longer facing a cross. You're facing the world outside, specifically the school across the street. And even though you've stayed in exactly the same space, the fact that you have turned has given you a completely different perspective about what could be the front and what could be the back of this sanctuary. Go ahead and turn around and sit down. You see, repentance is turning. It's turning. And we cannot lose sight of that because it's a very, very, very important word for our tradition and it's a necessary word for what it is that we're up to in our culture today. You see, repentance reminds us that the story can change. That we're not destined for a particular outcome. Repentance is the language of an open universe. And so every time you feel like you're getting stuck, 
That's that opportunity to turn, right? To see things from a slightly different perspective, to take stock about where it is that you are in your story and in the story of those around you. But I also want to recognize, and we see this in our text today, that we often don't come to repentance by our own accord. As humans, that's one of the things that we notice within our own tradition. We are not ones who sort of seek out repentance on our own. We often need others to help us, and that's one of the reasons why in our Reformed tradition we have a prayer of confession. It's not because we're bad people. It's because we need words and we need community to help us figure out how it is that we can shake things up inside of us. We need desperate situations and challenges around us to help us eke out a new way, to help us find the turning that it is that we need to see in order to know how to move forward. And that, I think, is why Jesus ends this delightful and puzzling, this delightful piece that he has with this this strange parable of the fig tree and the vine. Did you catch that part of the text, the fig tree and the vine? He talks about things going on within his culture, and then he moves really quickly to this parable of the fig tree and the vine. And there's this idea about the gardener, right, who's going to put a little bit more manure around it, and then let's see what's up at the end of next year. Well, for his listeners, the fig tree and the vine, those were very important images for the blessing of God. And if you look in the prophetic text, specifically in Micah and Joel, anytime the fig tree and the vine are put together, it's the sign of God's blessing, the sign that God is doing something amazing, the sign that abundance is returning back to the people of Israel. So it's no accident that Jesus takes these images again and uses them as a way, what? Not to say, rely on the fig tree and the vine as a way of securing God's blessing, but instead says, even in the land of God's blessing, you still have to have human agency. Even in the land of God's blessing, you still have to turn. It doesn't matter if you're in the space of believing that folks deserve it, which is the space of the first part of the text, or the space where you think, never mind, God's got it all taken care of. I'm in the land of God's blessing. I don't have to worry about anything at all. What he's saying is that those two perspectives get rid of something really important. Your ability to act. And so Jesus decimates both perspectives in this last day in Jerusalem and says, no, you have to figure out how to find your agency and your choice, whether you are in the place of blame and judgment or whether you are in the place that understands itself to be full of God's blessing. There's no ground that you can stand on where agency and choice no longer matter. And that's why the invitation to repent threads its way through this entire text. Whether you're talking about the Tower of Siloam falling down or whether you're talking about the promise of the fig tree and the vine, Jesus says, 
Both things are there. But where are you? So I want to end our sermon today with a question. Not the question of Mary Oliver, though I hope that that question is still hanging in the background of your mind. But the question that I have is, who's the gardener? You see, I think the gardener is the most fascinating person in the text that we have here before us today. Because the gardener is the person who has hope. The gardener is the person who doesn't have blind hope either. The gardener is like, yeah, I know it hasn't yet bloomed, but just give me one more year and I will dig. I'll fertilize. I'll put some more stuff around this tree and we'll see if it will bloom. You see, that doesn't rely on the world of God's blessing to just make the bloom happen. The gardener jumps in, the gardener participates, the gardener seeks and acts and tries to figure out how to cultivate a world of hope. So who's the gardener? Let's pray. Gracious and loving God, we thank you for this text and we ask that as we think about our week, that you would help us to bring this gardener into all parts of it. Help us to notice what might the gardener do in the specific context that we find ourselves in? Help us to turn and help us to act. In your name we pray. Amen. Friends, let us stand.